Welcome back for another episode of the podcast from P-Town. Hope everybody's having another great week. Weather's finally starting to turn nice again, so that's good. Start off with a little bit of news. J.J. Watt has successfully been traded to the Cardinals. So, sounds like that might be a good place for him to go to next. We have had to de-genderize, I guess you'd call it, a plastic potato. And a lot of states are beginning to reopen after or from the covid stuff here in oregon our governor is keeping us locked down but other states are opening up so i guess a differing of opinions on that one but anyhow this week we're going to talk about joseph stalin i'm warning you right now this is probably going to be a two-parter there was a lot on this guy and I think I covered him a little bit more than maybe some of the other really big ones like Eisenhower and stuff because I think everybody kind of knew more about the Eisenhowers and Trumans and whatnot, but maybe didn't know as much about Joseph Stalin, so I covered him a little bit more. And I'm going to go through this week and probably get up to around World War II era, and then next week we'll end up finishing off with World War II and the rest of his political career and the rest of his life so we can uh well let's go ahead and get started so joseph stalin was born on december 18th in 1878 and his name when he was born was joseph Vissarionovich stalin um my pronunciation throughout this whole episode is going to be a little bit rough he was born in a place called gory georgia and that's the georgia over in russia not the georgia over here his dad was named Bessarian Juhashvili, Juhashvili, and his mom was Ekaterine Galads, and he was the only child of theirs that was able to survive past infancy. And I think, if I remember right, I'd heard one time that the mortality rate during childbirth around this time was about 50% with a lot of kids, um, or a lot of babies, unfortunately, not being able to make it through, and a lot of mothers not being able to make it through. If you think about nowadays, how many people you know who have had to go to an emergency C-section or something like that, they didn't really have that option back in those days. But his dad was a shoemaker, and he actually had his own workshop, which was kind of a big thing back in those days, having your own uh, workshop. But in the beginning, the shoemaker business was going really good, but after a while, it started to fail and didn't do so well, and the family ended up living in poverty after that. And his dad ended up being, becoming an alcoholic, and he would also beat his wife and his son. So the wife and little Joe, they decided they were, weren't going to put up with that, and they ended up leaving around 1883, and they began a wandering life. And they moved through nine different rented rooms over the next 10 years. So they just kind of go from house to house and to different places over the next uh, 10 years. But in 1886, they moved in with a family friend, and Ekaterine, she worked as a house cleaner and a launderer to put her son through school. She was determined that her son was going to make it through school. And so, in 1888, Stalin was enrolled in the Gori Church School. And while he was in school, he got in a lot of fights, but he was actually pretty good academically. And he displayed a talent in painting, drama, writing poetry, and he was also a choir boy. And kind of an interesting note at age 12 so this would be around like 1890 i think he was hit by a phaeton 
that was likely the cause of a long-term disability with his left arm. And a phaeton, it was a type of horse-drawn carriage that was popular in Russia and maybe all over the world at that time. Not sure how you would get hit by one. You'd think you'd hear it coming from a mile away with the horses dragging it, but he ended up getting hit by that. And that disability in his left arm, that'll come into play a little bit later. But anyhow, in 1894, he, en he enrolled in the Orthodox Spiritual Seminary in a town called Tiflis. And he'd gotten a scholarship that allowed him to attend school at a reduced rate. And there were around 600 other trainee priests there at the time that he was going there. And he ended up getting good grades and he continued his poetry. That was something that he did like quite a bit. And he was actually pretty good at it. Five of his poems were actually published in a local newspaper there. And he wrote the poems under a pseudonym. His name was Sosello. And the poems, they became minor Georgian classics. And that's another thing that you'll see, even after all this bad stuff that Stalin did throughout his lifetime and whatnot, the people of Georgia have always really kind of stood behind him and thought he was a pretty good guy. But as he aged, he lost interest in the priestly stuff, and his grades at that time also began dropping. And he was, he was actually often confined to his cell for rebellious behavior. And at this time, he declared himself an atheist. And he would, when they were having prayer or whatnot, he'd get up and leave prayer, or he'd refuse to doff his hat to monks as they walked by. Evidently, you were supposed to take your hat off or something. I'm not exactly sure what doffing is. Also around this time, he was beginning to study Marxism. That became his devoted, or he became devoted to that political theory. And by 1889, he had left seminary altogether, and he never would return there. So after leaving the seminary place... In October of 1899, he began to work as a meteorologist at an observatory in Tiflis. And he was also teaching classes on his socialist theory, and he was starting to gain a lot of following. A lot of people were really starting to pay attention to what he had to say. He helped to organize a strike on May Day of 1900, and this will, is another thing you'll see. He organizes a lot of strikes. So this was starting to attract the attention of the authorities, the this, this strikes and what they were doing. They tried to arrest him in 1901, but he escaped and went into hiding. Then he organized another demonstration on May Day, or on May Day of 1901, and 3,000 marchers clashed with the authorities. And this must be where the idiots in Portland got their demonstration ideas, because it wasn't just a peaceful march. They ended up clashing with the authorities. But he continued to avoid arrest, and in November of 1901, he was elected to the Tiflis Committee of the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party. Then that same month, he ended up moving to a town called Batumi, and he was outspoken, and many of the Marxists in the city thought that he may be an agent provocateur working for the government. So they thought that the government had kind of planned him there to get people riled up, and the people that kind of got the most riled up, they would come back and arrest them. But they end up getting past that. They started accepting him. And he ended up getting a job at a refinery storehouse in which he helped to organize more worker strikes. And, it, you know, I think if he spent as much time working as he did organizing strikes, he, maybe he'd get a lot more done. But many of the strike leaders ended up getting arrested in this. So he helped organize a mass public demonstration and they stormed the prison where these guys were being held at. And troops ended up firing on the demonstrators and killed 13 of them. So old Joe, he organized another demonstration on the day of their funeral. 
But this time, the cops ended up getting him, and this was in April of 1902. And then in 1903, he was sentenced to three years of exile in eastern Siberia. If you look at this, it kind of sounds like if he were alive today, he'd be one of those keyboard warriors on Facebook. He was always stirring up stuff, but other people were end up getting arrested all the time or end up getting shot, but he was able to stay away from all that. But they did finally get him in 1903 and sent him to Siberia. And while he was there in Siberia, he tried to make two escape attempts. The first one he made, it was a, he made the ways away from the camp or whatever that he was stationed at or stuck at, but he returned due to getting frostbite. So he came waltzing back into camp because he was cold. And then the second attempt, he made it all the way back to Tiflis. And this was in 1904. And it doesn't seem like they actually went after him. After that, I guess they figured if he made it this far, more power to him, he can stay over there. And this is another thing that you'll see throughout Joseph Stalin's life. He gets exiled and arrested quite a few times, but he always manages to escape. And every, a lot of the times when he does escape, they never even go back after him because he becomes a pretty big name throughout all the areas that he goes to. So they know he's there, but they never go back and rearrest him and make him finish out his time. At this time, when he'd gotten out of Siberia, the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks were fighting for power in Russia. And Stalin aligned with the Bolsheviks and helped establish a stronghold in a town called Chiatura. And this was kind of where their home base of the Bolsheviks, or the part of the Bolsheviks that he was with, where they would kind of organize from. So then in 1905, the government, they killed a bunch of protesters in St. In St. Petersburg. And the Russian Empire, after that, ended up falling. And it was called the Revolution of 1905. And Joe was in Baku. Baku and after the revolution had happened, there was a lot of ethnic um, clashing that went on. And the violence in this town that he was in it started breaking out between the Armenians and the Azeris. And so he publicly, he lambasted them for, and he formed a Bolshevik battle squad to try to keep the warring factions apart. So he was out there saying how bad it was that these guys were fighting against one another and he organized a squad that you would think were out for good but it wasn't quite that way because they weren't just keeping the warring parties apart from one another they also went through and they disarmed the local police and the troops that were there they raided government arsenals and they raised funds through protection rackets, kind of like the mafia does now a lot of the big businesses that were around in that area they'd offer them protection for payment but the protection was kind of being protected from them coming and looting their place. So then in November of that year, the Georgian Bolsheviks elected him as one of their delegates at the Bolshevik conference that was being held in St. Petersburg. And it, when he got to this conference, he ended up meeting Lenin and his wife. And his wife was actually the one who let him know that the conference had been moved to Finland. So the, he didn't even know the conference had gotten moved up to Finland. But throughout the rest of his career and whatnot, he ended up having deep respect for Lenin. But he he also had quite a few disagreements with him. He disagreed with Lenin's view that the Bolsheviks should have candidates in the upcoming election. Stalin, he viewed the parliamentary process as a waste of time. He didn't, I guess he didn't really think that they should even have an election. They should, Whoever wanted power should just go in and take it over. You'll see that's kind of what they do. But in 1906, he attended what was known as the RSDLP Fourth Conference in Stockholm. 
And the funny thing at this conference, they agreed that it would uh, that they were not going to use armed robbery to gain funds. Lenin and Stalin, they both disagreed with this idea, and they met secretly away from everybody else on how they can continue their robberies to further the Bolshevik cause. So all these guys at the at this conference were trying to ease up on the robberies and whatnot, but not these two. So then in, again in 1906, Stalin, he ended up finding a woman that was crazy enough to marry him, and her name was Kato Svanids. And they end up having a son later that year, and they named him Yakov. And this year, he also became George's leading Bolshevik, and he was attending more and more conferences throughout the whole country, all the conferences he was getting to go to them. And then 1907 rolled around, and this year, he organized the robbing of a large delivery of money that was going to be sent to the Imperial Bank. And this was a really big robbery. Around 40 people were killed, and Stalin and his gang escaped with around 241,000 rubles, which I tried to look up how much money that would be today, but transferring it to ruble or from rubles to dollars and then in today's money, Google wasn't having any of it. Also at this time, the Mensheviks, they tried to vote him out of that conference, the RSDLP deal, but he kind of just wagged his finger at him and didn't really care what they were going to do. Also this year in 1907, his wife ended up dying, and she died of uh, typhus, I think it was. So he left his only son with her family in the town of Tiflis, and he returned to Baku. So 1906 and 1907, they were pretty big years for him. He got married and had a kid, and then his wife died shortly thereafter. So once he was back in Baku, he brought the gang back together, and then they continued their robberies and their protection rackets. But then in 1908, he found himself in prison again, and he was eventually, on this time, he was eventually sentenced to two years in exile in a place called Sovichegatsk Vlogda province. And like I said earlier, if you could see my screen that has all my notes on it, with all these Russian names, it looks like I'm giving the middle finger to my spell checker in Microsoft Word. There's... Everything seems to be underlined in red. But again, he escaped from this prison sentence, and he was disguised as a woman, and he made it all the way back to St. Petersburg. And he did pretty good there for a while, but in March of 1910, he was arrested and got sent back. He was arrested again and got sent back. And while he was there at this place, he ended up having affairs with at least two women that they know of. One of them would end up giving birth to his second son, and then in 1911, he was allowed to move to a place called Vologda, where he had another affair, and he escaped again, and he made it back to St. Petersburg again, only get arrested again, and sentenced to three more years in Vologda. So this guy, he just keeps getting arrested, and keeps getting out, and getting arrested, and getting out. So now we're up to 1912, and Stalin, he was still in exile, but the first Bolshevik Central Committee was elected at the Prague Conference at this point. And Lenin and a guy by the name of Grigory Zinoviev decided to co-op Stalin to the committee. So they kind of vouched for him to become part of this committee. And never wanted to turn down any publicity, Stalin agreed to it. So now that he had work to do, Stalin, Stalin ended up escaping again and returning again to St. Petersburg. And he helped while he was there, he helped turn the Bolshevik weekly newspaper into a daily paper. And that was in April... And then he was arrested again in May. This guy, 
he was getting arrested a lot during this time. And it almost gets kind of comical, because this time he got sent to three more years in Siberia, but he escaped again. It just keeps going on and on. So he worked on more Marxism and Bolshevik stuff, but guess what? He got arrested again in 1913, and this time they ended up moving him up close to the Arctic Circle. And it must have been cold up there because this sicko, he started having a relationship with a 13-year-old girl while he was exiled up near the Arctic Circle. And he got her pregnant, and she gave birth in 1914, but the infant son that they had, he soon died shortly thereafter. And he ended up getting her pregnant again, and she gave birth to another son. And this one lived, and this one they named Alexander, and he wasn't born until 1917. So I think the girl was only like 16 or 17 at the time, and Stalin was well into his 20s or 30s at this. It's sick. But anyhow... But in 1917, he was put into the military when the Russians entered World War One. He got uh, conscripted in, is what I think they called it. But he ended up being unfit for service because of that crippled arm that he had got back when he was younger, when he got ran over by that horse and carriage. So he was sent back to... So he didn't get to go in the military, so he was sent back into his term in exile, and he was in a place called a, a, a Chinks, when the February Revolution of, took place. And I think this was actually called the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. And the revolution, it made it, or it made a guy by the name of Tsar Nicholas II, who was the head of Russia at the time, he had to abdicate to, be, to escape being overthrown. So he took off and went into hiding. And so now the Russian country was now a de facto republic. So then Stal Stalin ended up traveling to St. Petersburg again, which was now being called Petrograd. During that revolution, they renamed the city. And him and another Bolshevik assumed control of uh, the newspaper in the area, which was called the Pravda. And he was then appointed as the Bolshevik representative to the executive committee of the Petrograd Soviet. And this council, or this was a council of the city's workers, they kind of, back in those days, this council kind of ran the city. And he was gaining more notoriety at this time, and he came in th third in the elections for the party's central committee. And the only guys above him were that Lenin and then that Zenoviev guy. But he continued another with another uprising, which caused the police to crack down on the Bolsheviks. They were kind of getting tired of it this, at this time. So they ended up crashing, cracking down on him, and they went to that newspaper place where he was working out of, and Lenin was there, and he ended up smuggling Lenin out of the newspaper headquarters to safety and got him out of there, but the police ended up raiding the place again later, and they smashed a lot of the equipment that they were using to print the newspaper on, but Stalin, he was able to escape with enough stuff to keep putting out his propaganda. And once he turned this uh, that Pravda into basically a daily newspaper, that's pretty much what it became, is they were just sending out a lot of the Bolshevik propaganda to the people and trying to get people to join the Bolshevik uh, the Bolshevik cause. But by no October of 1917, Lenin, he declared himself chairman of the Council of the People's Commissars, and this was kind of what would get Lenin into running the whole place. He just kind of named himself that, and it just kind of became the way it was. And so Stalin, he became part of an informal group that would lead this new government. In fact, him and er, Stalin and Leon Trotsky, 
They were the only two people who were allowed to enter Lenin's office without an appointment. You'll hear Trotsky a little bit more throughout this episode, and Lenin or Stalin and Trotsky, by the end of the whole thing, they didn't get along very well at all. And I think a, a lot of it was that they were both vying for power and vying for Lenin's time. And so they ended up being pretty bitter enemies there towards the end. Lenin had, he had the headquarters moved to the Kremlin, and Stalin eventually moved to the Kremlin with him. And there were a couple other guys, and they continued to run the country. And the RSDLP became known as the Russian Communist Party at this time. So that's when it all finally started. With this, it didn't make everyone happy, and armies began to rally against the Bolsheviks. And the food supplies in the country were beginning to dwindle. So to help overcome the famine and whatnot, Stalin was sent in to take charge of the food procurement. And this is where he began his military career. He would end up sending the Red Army troops in to fight the opposing forces. And while they were fighting, he would end up torching a lot of villages and slaughtering the people that lived there. And Lenin, for his part in this, he condemned Stalin for his brutal tactics. But he never really did any did a whole lot about it. He just would condemn him, but kind of let him go on and do his thing. And Stalin had pretty much proved his worth to him by this time. So by the, by 1921, the government, they were looking to reassert the control over all the different autonomous states that were in the area, like the Georgians and the Kazakhstans and all that type of thing. And this led to another civil war, and it also led to more worker strikes. To help thwart this, I guess it is, Lenin, he then appointed Stalin as general secretary, but this raised a lot of concerns with the people because they thought it was giving Stalin too much power at this time because he was, although everybody knew who he was by this point, a lot of people were scared of him and all the brutality and stuff that he caused. They thought that this was going to be giving him too much power and his reign of terror would go on. But then in 1922, Lenin ended up having a stroke and it left him partially paralyzed. But Stalin throughout the rest of his life, Stalin would continue to visit him pretty much daily. And Lenin, he tried to talk Stalin into giving him some poison pills so he could commit suicide. But Stalin, he wouldn't do it. He would never bring the pills to Lenin. He respected him too much to allow him to do that. But through his time as leader of the country and whatnot, Lenin was able to form the USSR and... This actually caused a divide between him, or started to cause a divide between him and Stalin. And by the time of his death, Lenin and Stalin, they were almost becoming enemies. There is one uh, little blurb about an outbreak that Stalin had against Lenin's wife and whatnot. And they were starting, their views were starting to spread farther and farther apart. But then in 1924, Lenin ended up dying, and Stalin took over the. He took over the whole funeral arrangements and everything, which Lenin's wife wasn't very happy about either. But he had his corpse put into a mausoleum in Red Square. And they also, at this time, renamed the city that was St. Petersburg, and then it became Petrograd. They ended up renaming it to Leningrad. And so Stalin, he was general, he, at this time he was still general secretary, and he began appointing people across the country that were loyal to him. So he was trying to build up all the people that were going to support him. And it actually is a pretty smart move. But the success, the successor of Lenin was still up for grabs. So even though Stalin was in a pretty high position, he wasn't just renamed as the head. It was still kind of up for grabs at the time. 
And the people that were in this, uh, there was obviously Stalin, there was Trotsky, there was Zinoviev, a guy by the name of Kamenev, Bukharin, Rykov, and Tomsky. So all these guys were kind of vying for the top spot at that point. The main person that Stalin was concerned with, though, was Trotsky. And that kind of goes back to, you know, they'd worked together for quite a few years, but now Stalin pretty much despised him for some of the views that Trotsky had. But late in 1924, Stalin, he moved against Kimenev and Zinoviev by removing some of their supporters from key positions. And by 1926, these two guys, they joined Trotsky's supporters to form the United Opposition against Stalin. But that only lasted for a short, a really short time. And Stalin, he be qu quickly became the party's supreme leader. And he was... He wasn't the head of the government in title. He actually appointed another guy as the head of government. But Stalin was actually really running the show. And I think that's probably a good point to cut it off for this week. We didn't quite make it all the way up to World War II. There was a little bit more information in there than what I even thought was in there. But like I said, Stalin, he'd done quite a bit throughout his entire uh career or life or whatever you want to call it and a lot of the stuff I didn't know about so I just kept researching it more and more hopefully it's all coming together pretty good I know that again there's a lot of dates and a lot of kind of hopping around a little bit I guess throughout this but anyhow I appreciate you all listening to this I hope that you're getting something something out of it and like I said I'm still learning how to get a flow down good through all of uh, the research and whatnot. I just kind of take the research as I find it and put it in where I think it, it should be. So I'm still working on that. And I also hope you guys kind of enjoy the length of the podcast. I'd done a, some research on the podcast links and stuff before I started podcasting, actually. And I kind of like the shorter format. They said that the average commute time of people was around 15 to 30 minutes. So it's kind of nice to put to kind of get them around that time frame so that you can listen to a whole episode while you're on your way to work or whatever you're doing. But anyhow, uh, go ahead and, like I say, follow us on the podcast from P-Town on Facebook. Send me a message at P-Town Podcast on Instagram. Or you can send me an email at ptownpodcast74 at gmail.com. Um like I say, I hope everybody's enjoying the podcast. I'm enjoying doing the research and whatnot and trying to learn how to put this whole thing together. But that's pretty much it for this week. We'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks a lot.